Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Robert Timothy. <laughs> I love it. It's like you sound like a radio announcer, and I, it's so fun. <laughs> uh, we have a great episode for you. We are joined by Robert Timothy, host of Science Faction, uh, a really fun show that you should definitely go check out after you listen to this episode, or during. Play them at the same time. See if I give a shit. Uh, but this week is Pages Week, and you're not—you are not gonna want to miss this episode. I fucking loved every second of it. <laughs> this is our kickoff to a wild series. We will be covering the Symbionese Liberation Army and their abduction of Patty Hearst. So you are in for a world of wildness. I can't wait to get to the later episodes. It's gonna be great. And even if you think you know the story, you don't know fucking shit because this episode is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, before we get into it, we have some news and reviews. Uh, the news is that we have a Patreon. Go figure. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. Uh, check out all the tiers and rewards that we have there. Uh, also, if you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, can we suggest Rooster Tea? Rooster Teeth is a great place to listen to podcasts and also get some content. Download the app on your Roku television, your Amazon Fire Stick, your uh, phone, and also go check out the website roosterteeth.com. Uh, and before we get started, we have another five-star review. This one comes to us from Tisha1023. And they say, drink the Kool-Aid. Yay. Love, <laughs> love the show. I work 10-hour shifts in a factory and binge the show in less than a month. Just giving y'all a heads up, you'll be getting some Kool-Aid merch in August. I live in Hastings, Nebraska, the birthplace of Kool-Aid, and we have Kool-Aid days every year. What? Yes. Wow. I am excited. That's the third most exciting thing I've heard about Hastings, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, uh, legally speaking, I have to cut you in on a corner of these Kool-Aid profits. I, am, so. I'm, I want grape. <laughs> okay. We've actually we've probably got some great flavor aid we could send your way. Even better. Yeah. Have it stashed. And it's full of cyanide. <laughs> hey, let's get into the show. Hello. 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 Ooh, baritone. Don't drink the the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Robert Timothy. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, man. I feel like you have to be sworn in now. Yeah, I thought I wanted to make that a little bit more seriously than I, seriously than I needed to. <laughs> I love the energy. 
<laughs> so you are our resident explosives expert, uh, the yeah. person we text with weird science questions, mm-hmm. yeah. and the host of the Science Faction podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You also forgot that I'm really good at parallel parking and foosball. So Whoa. Whoa. Nice. Oh. Damn. Look at that. You're everything I, every college student wants to be. Yeah. How yeah. are you at Microsoft Word and Excel? <laughs> I'm basically the paperclip. Whoa. <laughs> Sir, you're hired. I like the cut of your jib. And the cut of your hair, mountain man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. COVID hair don't care. No, I yeah. love it. It's such a great look. So today we are starting a new series. I'm super excited about it. It's Breaking Bad. We're covering Breaking Bad in its entirety. It's a Breaking Bad podcast now. Uh, it's super great. Tuco's my favorite character so far. I can't imagine how that can go wrong. Um, I will say this episode, I I mentioned it before we started officially recording. I think this episode has the most crimes of any cult podcast episode ever. That's an impressive stat because you guys. Yes, it is. Last time I was on here, we did Om Shinrikyo. And if you're beating like an international billionaire terrorist organization that's trying to start World War III by poisoning millions of people, you're doing a pretty good job in terms of committing a lot of crimes. Yeah, but the real crime where there's all those shitty animes. So yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Uh, What I will say is this, first of all, it's probably the most crimes ever committed in one episode uh, by one guy, one single guy. So we're going to be covering, just to give you an idea of what the next few episodes are going to be about, uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army and the abduction of Patty Hearst. So good. So good. Controversial (laughs) case. Lots of stuff that we're going to get into. But today, we're focusing on the man who founds the Symbionese Liberation Army. We're, t- we're focusing on that guy. We'll get to Patty in a bit. But he is essentially like Charles Manson if someone stopped him slightly sooner. Whoa! I shit you not. There are so many Manson parallels in this case And the only reason that he is not 10 times more dangerous than Manson was is because he's bad at crime. (laughs) (laughs) And and the guitar. He couldn't play an acoustic guitar to save his life, and that was the difference. Well, that's the thing. He doesn't try for music the way Manson does. So I think that gave him just more time to work on homemade bombs. (laughs) And we'll talk about it. Oh, he like, like if Manson's love was music, this guy's love was just fucking around with fireworks and seeing what happens. I now I gotta say I'm coming around to him because that yeah. you just described my teenage years was fucking around I with mean, homemade explosives. That's part of why you're here. Yeah. He also sounds like the average SoundCloud rapper. So like maybe musician thing, not that weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got a lot to get through today. Even more to get through in the next two episodes. Are you guys ready to get into sources? So ready. Woohoo! So our first source is a six-part documentary series called The Radical History, or I'm sorry, a six-part a six-part documentary series called The Radical Story of Patty Hearst. Radical. By, <laughs> radical uh, by CNN. Uh, we have a Britannica article on the Symbionese Liberation Army written by Laurel Lambert. 
We have a PBS article called The Rise and Fall of the Symbionese Liberation Army. We have BlackPass.org, their article, The Symbionese Liberation Army by Weston W. Cooper. We have the FBI files on Patricia Campbell Hurst, also known as Patty Hurst. We have a Slate article from 2002 called What is the Symbionese Liberation Army? And the reason it happens in 2002 is because that's when some of these people finally get convicted of crimes. Wow. Jesus. (laughs) Wild story. Uh, Then we have a dissertation by Gregory Garth Cumming of UC Riverside called The End of an Era, The Rise and Fall of the Symbionese Liberation Army and the Fall of the New Left. What a what a what an unfortunate name for a person to have. I was thinking about that same thing, too. You think he became like a researcher because he just got beat up too much to be on the playground at all? Like he stayed (laughs) in his recess at home in the library. But I did look it up and they accepted this dissertation. So I think he's actually now (laughs) Dr. Cumming at this point. That's pretty good. I mean, it is better. My favorite part of Wayne's World was when Garth coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then have an article from the Danville Register from April 14th, 1974, uh, called Patty Hearst's Chief Captor Emerges as a Man Capable of Love and Violence. Uh, we have a New York Times article from May 17th, 1974, uh, Chinku, a dropout who has been in constant trouble. And then we have People Magazine from April 29th, 1974, The Man, the Mystery Behind the SLA Terror. So are you ready? So ready. So this is one of those stories, kind of like Ruby Ridge or Waco or even Manson, where there is a sensational short form version of it in the news at the time and even now. And that's the version of the story that sticks. That's what most people know. And most people didn't read beyond the shocking headlines or look into the people involved. People actively remember their most famous crime, but they don't know much else about the Symbionese Liberation Army. They're born out of the same cult counterculture movement and they're a radical political activist organization galvanized behind a leader who had the potential to be every bit as dangerous as Manson but his name is often buried in the history behind the woman whose kidnapping would be the group's undoing. So today we're going to talk about him Donald DeFreeze. Oh boy he could have just started an ice cream company. Absolutely he could have been Mr. Freeze in Batman Forever or whatever the one is with Mr. Absolutely. Freeze. I mean, just I mean, I could imagine a creepy ice cream truck going down my street and an elderly man shouting out of it, just like, come on, get Donnie DeFreeze's ice cream, everybody. <laughs> and then the next one comes by, he's like, nah, nah, get Garth coming ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's salty, but that's what makes it good. <laughs> Yeah, our salted cum ramel is to die for. That one didn't really work. <laughs> it, worked, it worked. I think it's time to start drinking, Armand. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to have a little drink. I'm just going <laughs> to. <sighs> so, Donald DeFreeze was born November 16th, 1943, in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, his parents, Louis and Mary DeFreeze, had eight other children. He was the oldest, by the way. Donald was. His Damn. mom was an... Yeah. I mean, how many cult leaders have we covered where they're like, there's 13 kids, and oddly enough, they can't pay attention to all of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> so his parents, 
uh, Lewis and Mary. His mom was a nurse at an old folks home, and we actually don't have information about his father's job. And honestly, it's possible that he didn't have one. Uh, What we do know is that as the oldest of the eight children, Donald and his father would frequently physically fight, which resulted in his father breaking both of Donald's arms as punishment on three different occasions. What? But, yes. So six arms all together? Six arms? arms all together. Both arms Holy... three times. How many arms did he have? <laughs> Only two at a time, but this okay. is three separate occasions. He had a rare medical condition called goroitis, and it caused him to have <laughs> numerous arms. That's a, that's insane. Could you? That's a punishment. Not like they were fighting, and I there mean, was something that happened in the fight. Like, yeah. did, like you stepped over the line, son. Like, no more humorous for you. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I don't know if you guys know, but this is the origin story for Dr. Octopus. <laughs> Bobby, I want to, I Bobby, I want to go back one second and just say there was, that last joke was over the line. There's nothing humorous about this. <laughs> maybe, wait a second. Hold on a second. Oh, this was, this was too early. I was going to say, if this had happened in the early nineties, maybe his dad wasn't such a bad guy. Maybe he just uh, watched that movie rookie of the year where that kid, <laughs> You're going to pitch, so help me God. Um, yeah, he's a tiger mom. <laughs> oh, jeez. No, th- this is this is the mid-40s, early 50s when child abuse was just kind of... Called parenting? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, understandably, Donald dropped out of school at 14 during his freshman year of high school and ran away to Buffalo, New York, where he ends up living for a little while with a pastor and his family. Um, but it didn't last long because he quickly joined a street gang. Hell yeah. Yep. I know I'm not supposed to be on his side, but I'm, this is the first time I'm going to say a controversial opinion. I think this is the first time a man should have run away from home. A hundred percent. He's like, I don't, the doctor said I could only break these each one more time, and that is it. So. <laughs> I'm just picturing him joining a street game with casts, like yeah. like the kind where they put the bar out, and he's just like, hey, guys. Yeah, he just, he comes in, and they're like, all right, Donald, it's time for your initiation. He's like, what do you want me to do, break my arm? And they're like, Jesus, no. We were going to, like, initiation fees, like $20? Calm the fuck down, dude. Yep, yep. Uh, but he had only been with the gang for a few months before he was arrested for stealing from parking meters and then stealing a car. So apparently he was just like, I'll take these quarters and this Corolla (laughs) just right here. (laughs) And because of this, he was sent to the state reformatory in Elmira, New York, which if you remember from our Manson episodes, these are essentially prison schools for children uh where physical mental and emotional torture were the norm and they basically created a reform school to prison pipeline where like most of the people if you survived the prison school you were probably going to end up in prison again because it literally did nothing but just create violent criminals. It's like yeah, a horrible system. Yeah, that um, tracks a lot. And I'm really upset right now. I know that eventually he's going to become somebody we hate deeply, but right now he's a gangster who fucks over parking enforcement, and he's yeah. kind of he's kind of my favorite person. 
I wouldn't even put it as gangster. Like, if you think about it, he's doing, like, a little rascal's crime. He's stealing from parking meters. Like, that's one step above a lemonade stand with the end backwards. And they're they're putting him in a a human torture cell as a child for it. Yeah, it's like, it's not even a real crime because they're not even real cops. Fuck you, parking enforcement. (laughs) Eat my ass. I'll park wherever I fucking please. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and remember, this is constant, nonstop physical abuse as a child and then runs away to escape it to a point where a street gang is preferable to the life he left and now he is in a prison school which is going to be as bad if not worse than the life he ran away from so at this point i would say like he's gonna go on to do some horrible shit yeah but at this point I feel all the pity in the world for this kid. Like, Absolutely. Brutal. And it's the same with, you know, when we talk about Manson, Manson had a similarly bad upbringing. And at this point where he's just in prison school, you're just like, yeah, I feel like society kind of created this monster a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Exactly. And that's yeah. the thing is we're not absolving any of these people of their crimes, but it's almost like, like you said, maybe, oh, these two terrible people have this very specific thing in common with a bunch of other people who also became terrible people. I wonder, I wonder what they had in common. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, wow, you mean Carl Pansrum and Charles Manson and this guy and like everyone who was a criminal in the seventies has this in their past. Who'd have thought the decade with like the most serial killers? What a shocker. Yeah, the golden age of serial killers was that time, right? In the 70s. And like you could almost trace it back and be like, oh, it wasn't that this was some kind of fluke or it had to do. I mean, probably had something to do with the lax policing and the inability of of precincts to talk to one another. But like, oh, we had serial killer schools. We like sent kids off. And it turns out if you did bad enough crimes or I guess broke your arms enough, you got a scholarship to serial killer school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like Project Supervillain origin story didn't work out the way they intended it to. (laughs) Or it worked out just fine. And we are going to, as we get into the rest of the story, there's going to be a lot of lax policing and police departments not talking to each other. Mm. And that's going to be a big factor kind of in the rest of his origin story. But one of the worst parts of those prison schools is that they could only keep you until you were 18, and then they just turned you loose with nothing. Just, like, onto the street as a teenager. Good luck. So they turned him loose with no resources or life skills, and he made his way to Newark, New Jersey, where he married a woman named Gloria Thomas. Now, Gloria was considerably older than him and already had three children of her own. And the two of them would go on to have three more children together. Jesus. But not without some ups and downs because... I would think so. If you have six kids, that's 36 broken arms. Yeah. I like the math on this guy. That's... He, as far as I know, I was not able to find any information. Uh, There are not reports of him directly abusing his children. Uh, oh, thank God. I'll explain in just a second why I suspect that he probably didn't. Um, because his relationship with Gloria is tricky. He literally never stops trying to abandon his family. <laughs> <laughs> 
He got the taste for running away, and now he needs another hit. <laughs> now he does it all the time. Um, literally, the year after they got married, they got married in 1963. So in 1964, she attempted to have him arrested for desertion. Now, I thought for a second, because whenever you see desertion, I was like, did he join the army? Yeah. But I couldn't find any records of it. No. She was trying to have him arrested for abandoning them and not paying child support. (laughs) And (laughs) his options were to pay them money that he didn't really have Mm -hmm. or to just return to them. So he returned to them and moved the whole family to California. But things didn't stop because that same year he was stopped by police trying to hitchhike on the 210 freeway with a suitcase near West Covina. And upon (laughs) now, here's the thing. The police stopped him because he's in the middle of like a giant freeway. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if it was called the 210 at the time. It was just called the San Bernardino Freeway, which is now the 210. I oh, say. this? We call it run away from your responsibility way. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very confusing. We've been considering the 210 for a while. Do you know what that is? It doesn't matter. You're under arrest. It, does, it doesn't matter. Uh, and upon searching his suitcase, they found a tear gas bomb, a sharpened butter knife or shiv, and a sawed off rifle. And no other items. (laughs) Well, I mean, they always say pack light, so I kind of get it. But two things. If you're in not in prison society, if you're just in regular society, you don't need a shiv. We have knives. Like, they work better. (laughs) What are you up to, buddy? Like, go get an ice pick and a knife. You don't need a shiv. It was a butter knife that he sharpened into just more of a knife. It was already a knife. Yeah, and it's almost like he probably had to use an actual knife to sharpen it into... right. A sharper knife. Regardless. I know he's an insane person because he doesn't pack like, if I was packing to run away from my wife, I would pack, uh, of course, the pipe bomb. You got to have that. Sawed <laughs> you got to have it. Absolutely. Yeah. Shiv, the Kyle Reese special. Shiv, yeah. you never know. You never know. Never you, pack, know. you pack for the worst day, not the best one. But then I would also pack five extra pair of boxers because I am sure every time I go out on a trip that I'm going to absolutely just shit my pants every single day. I don't know how you don't they Jesus Christ. Where was he going? I'm sorry. I have so many questions. I don't think he had a plan. I'll be honest with it, you. Well, I feel you have those three things. It's like you have a diabolical plan. <laughs> That's right. But hitchhiking, um, So despite literally finding a guy with a bomb, the police let him go with a ticket and a future court date. Are you fucking kidding me? Holy shit. I am not kidding you. This is 1964. They just looked at this bomb and said, at least it's not a gram of marijuana. You're free to go, sir. (laughs) Yep. Every time I think of true crime in the 60s and 70s, I think to myself, I could have fucking owned the world. Like, I could have <laughs> dominated this like a supervillain. You guys are so goddamn dumb. You would let serial killers go. You got, like, you murdered 18 people. They're like, you get 16 months in jail. Like, it was ridiculous. There were no consequences. It was a free-for-all. You could do whatever you want. And you could have a pipe bomb. And the cops are like, get on your way, scamp. But if you steal any quarters out of that thing, we're going to put you in a... <laughs> sexual assault factory for a long time of your childhood. Why do I feel like Bobby would go back in time and become a, a literal supervillain? Yeah, like I, <laughs> I like that that's what you're taking from this. Not like, look how far things have come, but like, 
holy shit, with a pipe bomb and a dream, I could have made changes. <laughs> oh, Paige, I don't know about that. It sounds like a pipe dream to me. Oh, good night. <sighs> but his freedom was short-lived because a few months later, he was arrested for firing guns in the basement of his own home. <laughs> what? Wait, 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 why is that illegal? Be- because, you, because you could easily kill someone. That's why. It's my basement, isn't it? Also, where is he in California that he has a basement? Uh, the in, Bay Area has basements. Oh. It, they, they do, although he's in Los Angeles at this oh, he point. Is. Yeah, he will eventually make his way to the Bay Area for sure. But Oh, okay. I didn't know any L- ba- basements in LA. I'm just thinking... I mean, come on, long-term value of your home, structural yeah. support of the mm-hmm. interior basement wall, you're doing a lot of damage there. Yeah, you could. <laughs> and when they questioned him, he claimed that he had taken up an interest in firearms, fireworks, and explosives because of how unhappy his home life was with Gloria. No, that's the worst. Just tell him you saw a rat, buddy. <laughs> but again, they dropped the charges. What the fuck? <laughs> Well, they went down to the basement and they saw a bunch of paintings on the wall of the basement of his wife and kids that were all potmarked with bullets that he'd been firing repetitively while drunk in the middle of the night. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's the 60s. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. that's just a police officer like nothing wrong with hating art. I get it, brother. All right. You take it easy. Now, at this point, he has a bit of a longer stint of freedom from being arrested uh, two years later. Uh, and that's after two years of at least no crimes that we know about. Uh, two years later, the police stopped him after running a red light on his bicycle. And now normally, I would say police were targeting him unfairly. Except that in the basket of his bicycle, out in the open, was a homemade bomb and a gun. What and upon fuck? searching him, they found another bomb in his pocket. <laughs> He's not even carrying bombs right. No. And when questioned about these bombs, he claimed that he just found them lying around, despite his history with explosives. I fucking, I doubt. (laughs) X for doubt. Can you imagine in this post 9-11 world, if there was just a dude with a beach cruiser and one of those picnic basket things attached to the front of it, strolling down the street with, with a huge pipe, pipe bomb yeah. and a gun hanging out, and then uh, like a cargo short pocket with another pipe bomb clearly <laughs> poking out the side, just that is, whistling as he's going. That's what happened. That is yeah. literally exactly what happened. Luckily, a cop came by and was like, excuse me, sir, but after the ET Act of 1983, I legally have to check every basket on a bicycle <laughs> but even this time despite the fact that he had multiple bombs in the open <laughs> Fuck. he was given three years probation <laughs> what <laughs> the probation officer at the time said that he believed that donald defries was deeply troubled and seemed to have a warm relationship with his family but was experimenting with explosives out of feelings of powerlessness and therefore was not a danger to society? Yeah, Wait, hold on. I have a question. Does constantly trying to flee equal warm relationship in this professional's <laughs> mind? They meant warm because he has so many <laughs> bombs. <laughs> They're going to be real fucking warm once yeah. I figure out how to work them. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, from what I can understand, he never really hurt his family directly or wanted to. He just didn't like being a family man. He just, he, it was not for him. But that's not warm. Like, th- this is my point. Look how I bad know. the standards of fatherhood are in the 1960s. It's like, you you routinely get arrested trying to get the fuck away from your family on a, on a regular basis. You're known for that. Yeah. yeah. And oftentimes carrying bombs and other weapons. What yeah. a warm father. <laughs> It's also just look like imagining him getting down on his son's level, looking him in the eyes and being like, look, champ, it's not you. Daddy just needs to bomb, baby. <laughs> You'll get it when you're older, kid. I don't know what to tell you. Also, and I know this is an aside. I'm really off the rails here. I just am blown away, pun not intended, by how fucking crazy this person is. Because if these are the bombs that he's getting caught with. You These have the to, travel bombs. Yeah, you have to yeah, imagine all of the bombs they didn't catch him with, like at the grocery store. Like he yeah. went to the post office. He's just got bombs everywhere. He keeps bombs in pockets for Christ's sake. <laughs> Pocket bombs. boom. <laughs> Some people have pocket sand, and they're just not taking it far enough. God, it's like a whole new level of wallet chain. <laughs> Pocket bomb. Pocket bomb. It's my pocket watch, but don't let the time run out. (laughs) (laughs) Now, during his probation, as part of his probation, he was actually evaluated by a mental health professional who described him a little differently. They described him as a schizoid personality with strong schizophrenic potential and a fascination with firearms and explosives. And they recommended that he be put in jail because of his fascination with explosives and firearms. And they thought that made him dangerous. But these recommendations were disregarded and no additional jail time or mental health resources were given to Donald. Jesus Christ. It's because some cop was like, nah, that sounds like a lot of extra paperwork. I'm good. I'm He's good. a warm guy. He's a yeah. warm guy. He's a warm, like explosively warm guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, regardless, it shouldn't have surprised anyone when two years into that probation, he and an accomplice were arrested again for kidnapping a groundskeeper from a synagogue for no reason. <laughs> And the charges were dropped again, but mainly because he had already fled back to Ohio, where only a few months later, the police found him on the roof of a bank carrying two pistols, an eight inch dagger, a lockpick kit, a burglar's toolkit, and a hand grenade. (laughs) I'm going to just say this right now. If you have all of those weapons, you don't need a lockpick anymore, bud. (laughs) You're taking up valuable bomb space, but <laughs> now hold on. I think I can I can guess the end of this one, Paige. Uh, the cops realize their follies. They immediately detain him, arrest him. This time, put him in jail for a decade or more. Well, no, uh, because he was released on a five thousand dollar bond. <laughs> a, a bond. <laughs> A bond he paid with stolen funds. I fucking was gonna say it as a bit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He literally reached into his pocket. He started pulling out like $100 bills and accidentally pulled out another bomb. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) He's so fucking stupid. He's making me literally bomb on the goddamn show. He's taking jokes out of my brain. Now, 
As soon as he pays this bond, he books it back to Los Angeles, where proceedings for the previous kidnapping were still in progress. So he gets back to L.A., and he goes to a bank to cash a $1,000 cashier's check. But it turns out that he had stolen that check from a sex worker that he had nearly beaten to death. So upon exiting the bank, he was met with a crowd of LAPD officers where they engaged in a literal shootout where he was injured but survived. And finally, this lands him at Vacaville Prison in Northern California. Oh, because he almost injured a cop. Now I get it. <laughs> now you get there you go. Well, to be fair, they were they did try they did shoot to kill, but uh like eight of the bullets just bounced off bombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forgot to take the pin out. Sorry. Uh, But that's actually, I have a friend who works at that prison with one of their prison programs. I can't talk about their name, but I was very kind of excited to find out that that's the prison it was. I was like, I know about that prison. Uh, But it is the 70s. Specifically, it's 1960. Well, it's not quite the 70s. It's 69. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, And it's a weird time to be in prison because the counterculture movement and the civil rights movement are in full swing. And as a result, UC Berkeley had started a program that would allow students and people teaching or auditing university classes to visit prisoners of Vacaville prison and tutor them for various educational studies, but specifically around politics and current sociopolitical issues. And this grew into an organization called the Black Cultural Association, where black prisoners had organized with the students of UC Berkeley to do activist work surrounding the civil rights movement from inside the prison, which initially sounds like a good thing. And I'm going to argue that mostly it was. Mm-hmm. But mostly. now, we're, mostly, uh, because now we're going to get into the part of the story that will define this entire series, which is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. See, the students were laser focused on prison reform, which again is good. It's needed. It's still an issue today. It is absolutely something they should have been focusing on. And the bulk of their prisoners in their program were also focused on reform and civil rights activism. And the students encountered literal hundreds of prisoners who were victims of police brutality, inherent biases, wrongful imprisonment, or simply just couldn't pay bail on lesser charges. And they started to forget that sometimes people are in prison for a reason. People like Donald DeFries. (laughs) (laughs) Or like hundreds of reasons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The most reasons. (laughs) What are you in for? Well, oh, this time? Uh... (laughs) (laughs) They finally got me. Um, See, Donald hated prison, understandably. And so he went all in on joining the discussions on prison reform. But he got like too into it. He was convinced that the discussions weren't going far enough, so he split from the main group and created his own group called Unisite. And it wasn't super popular. He did get one other fellow inmate who had been a former Black Panther to join for a little bit. And that guy just thought it was UNICEF. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I'm trying to do the trunk or treat thing, dude. Why is your trunk just hand grenades? <laughs> the kids are going to hate this. <laughs> By the way, 
Paige, I, I hate to I hate to attack your description of this, but uh, not particularly popular. I don't know if that I think that was your phrasing, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. kind of got one guy for a little bit. Well, I think you might be you might give, be giving him a little bit too much credit. <laughs> well, that that one guy quickly left the group uh, because all the other members of Donald's group had one thing in common. They were super white. Oh, yeah, this tracks a lot. So Donald now had three, I'll call them acolytes, in his thrall. A man named Russ Little, another man named Joe Romino, and a Berkeley student named Willie Wolf, who is in the process of studying to become an archaeologist. Are you of serious? Of course he is. A fucking course he is. <laughs> Those assholes. When did Indiana Jones come out? <laughs> No, this is pre-Indy. This, this is, is pre. This is 60, 69. So way before Indiana Jones. It's way before Bobby went to Berkeley yeah. to be an archaeologist. Yeah, this might be back in Krober days, actually. Yeah, this is uh, this is old school. This is back when they're also like a huge deal. It's going to come back around. But the reason they're the hu- uh, Berkeley archaeology is kind of the biggest archaeology program, arguably in the country next to maybe Yale's at the time, is because of the Hearst family. Yes, and that is going to be a factor in later episodes. Dan, this crazy. Is it because they found a dinosaur, but it's Jesus dinosaur? <laughs> yes, Mondo is a Jesus dinosaur. <laughs> the dinosaur they found was William Randolph Hearst. Um, <laughs> so together, the three students and Donald DeFreeze begin plans for a much more extreme version of the group that the prison had hosted previously. And they were going to go big or go home. Or at least that was the plan until Donald got transferred to Soledad Prison in Soledad, California in 1972. But here's the thing about Soledad Prison. They had jobs for inmates outside the fences. Oh, no. <laughs> and DeFries took one of these jobs. And four months after his transfer, he walked out for his job checking the boilers and never returned. It's like they didn't even check his fucking thing. His specialty is bombs, and he minored in running away. (laughs) (laughs) They gave him access to the boiler, a highly explosive environment, and the ability to leave. These fucking idiots. (laughs) Now, it is suspected that archaeological student Willie Wolf picked him up outside the prison to aid in the escape, but it's never been proven. Regardless, DeFreeze made his way to Oakland, where he moved in with friends of his white followers, Nancy Ling Perry and Patricia Ms. Moon Soltstick, and her lover, Camilla Hall, where basically it becomes a nonstop orgy of drugs, political activism, and standard orgy stuff. Um, okay, like, now now this is actually sounding pretty good. Like th- you've gone from bad to oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. we're approaching nice territory, Paige. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things are sounding pretty nice. <laughs> but this is where we have to take a very small detour and talk about one of the few surviving members of this group mm-hmm. and how they get there. A man named Bill Harris graduated high school in 1963, the same year that DeFreeze was caught caught with his first bomb, and. Unlike DeFreeze, Bill went straight into the army to fight in Vietnam, where he saw nonstop torture and atrocities that quickly radicalized him upon his return home. And after serving his tour in Vietnam, he met his wife, Emily, at Indiana University in 1968, where they were both theater majors. 
uh, they specialized in what was called guerrilla theater or intense political art performances. <laughs> yeah, Armando, are you also thinking about Hamlet, but this time it's the gorilla holding the human skull? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, get out of my fucking brain, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but secondly... <laughs> Oh, to banana or not to banana. <laughs> that is the, woo. <laughs> I, <laughs> my second thought is just like, I, <laughs> he was a Vietnam War veteran, right? Yes. So he just heard gorilla, gorilla acting and was like, I've seen how, I've seen how powerful gorilla other stuff can be. I think I know where this is going. I want to be on the winning side for once. <laughs> I want to learn sign language and play with kittens. <laughs> And I'm tired of orangutan theater. That is that is old. <laughs> oh, see, Look, I was I, going like guerrilla warfare. Like you pop out of the floor and you're like, you ever seen Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> to be or not to be? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, regardless, Emily, his new girlfriend, had become heavily involved in the women's rights movement. Mm-hmm. And in 1971, they got married and decided that they needed to be where all of the action was. They needed to be in Berkeley. So they arrived in Berkeley later that year and contacted an old friend from the theater department, a woman named Angela Atwood. And she, like Emily, was heavily involved in the women's rights movement. So the three of them start attending rallies and activist events together, which is where they meet Russ Little and Joe Romino, two of the men working with Donald DeFries. And this is right around when he has escaped. Cut back to Donald. This whole time, Donald has been hiding out in the house because he's a fugitive, sitting at home, doing drugs, watching TV, and probably building bombs because that's his thing. Okay. Oh, until the last part, you had me. That sounds like a great fucking thing. <laughs> and frankly, you had me the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. As he's sitting at home watching TV... He sees a news story about the newly elected Oakland superintendent of schools, a man named Marcus Foster. Now, Marcus Foster is the first black superintendent of schools in Oakland, a predominantly black community. But he was a controversial figure. See, schools in Oakland were struggling and they weren't really considered safe. And Foster had entertained the idea of allowing police to patrol the schools, which was a widely unpopular idea because people were worried that the police would harass the students as opposed to protecting them. But honestly, if this episode is any indication, I'm pretty sure they would have just let them go. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, how how, speaking of quaint thoughts, can you imagine a time so quaint that somebody went in, by the way, one of like the most crime ridden neighborhoods on, on in the, in the country in, in Oakland, they went, Hey, maybe we should allow a police officer in the school. And like, everybody was like, no, that's the craziest thing we've ever heard. And meanwhile, now you could go to the richest neighborhood in anywhere in, in the United States. And there will be a SWAT team that is based inside of a local high school. Oh yeah. But it's about to get crazier because while that was an unpopular uh, proposal. Let's call it that. I would still say it. Just uh, as FYI, fuck, fuck cops in schools. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, uh, usually not a good idea. Usually yeah, not I a good idea. Yeah, fucking hate them. But anyway, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's my. That's my. Hey, thank you for joining into Armando's political corner. <laughs> now we'll get back to the rest of the podcast with Pedro for Wesley and Bobby. We should have seen it coming, Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, his more 
unpopular proposal because even though he was trying to work with the police, people were still, they were giving him a little leeway on it because they're like, well, he's a black superintendent, so he obviously understands that experience. Maybe there's a way this could work. But then he pitched an idea that everyone thought was so radical that it became a huge issue in the community. He wanted every single student to have an ID card. Now, I thought you were going to say a gun. No. (laughs) The only way to stop a bad kid with a gun is a good kid with a gun. (laughs) We all grew up in an era where student IDs were the norm. Yeah, right. But at this time, it was unheard of. No one has literally ever had kids have IDs. And everyone thinks it's outrageous. So Marcus Foster walks it back and is like, okay, but like, I get, okay, maybe not IDs. That, like, we'll talk about it. And he kind of like walks it back from the IDs. When I was in high school, like my freshman year, they implemented uh, having IDs as like part of, you had to have it on you all the time. Uh, but so many of us would just forget them or not have them that they started implementing more rules. Like you couldn't do certain shit if you didn't have your ID. And it got to the point where you couldn't go to the bathroom if you didn't show them your ID as like part of that thing. And I would forget my shit all the time because I'm a kid. I don't have a fucking wallet. Why do I need a <laughs> wallet? I have no money and I have this one <laughs> shitty card. Go fuck yourself. So like there would be times where teachers would be like, I can't let you go. I can't let you go if you if you don't have your ID. And that that's the line that I would do every time was just like, well, I can shit here or I can shit in a bathroom. <laughs> the ball is the ball is in your court, Mr. King. What do you want to do? So I always had IDs. Doesn't sound weird to me. But to Donald DeFreeze, that sounded a lot like fascism. Yeah. Fuck yeah. What, what does he hate the idea of like movie theater discounts? What the hell is this guy's <laughs> problem? I, I, I mean, that's what I used my school ID for. <laughs> right? Literally well into college. Um, <laughs> I, I think his rationale was that it was kind of like, Hitler and Nazi Germany and demanding to see someone's papers. Yeah, I I don't feel like there's a lot of rationale going on in that fucking head. (laughs) Like, I think we're fucking looking for a needle in a haystack here, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But regardless, because of that fascism, DeFries became convinced that Marcus Foster had to be killed ah there we over go over school ids over school ids there we go that's where it got that's not the part where i thought i would hate him this is it that he <laughs> oh you can never you can never claim that he's not unpredictable because god damn it he is a mysterious <laughs> he is a wild card yeah man. oh totally even mondo was just gonna defecate on some well-worn carpet yeah. i mean this oh, guy's absolutely. gonna kill somebody about it I was agreeing yeah. with him up until every point, and then you were like, yeah, he's going to murder a guy. It was like, wow, that's not that. I thought we were further out from that. Jesus. <laughs> so while Marcus Foster was walking out to his car one night, they waited until after a school board meeting. And once they got him alone, they shot him at point blank range with cyanide tipped bullets. <laughs> so what that the fucking Suge Knight shit is this? I mean, I, essentially the cyanide was so that if they missed, he'd still die. <laughs> I, so- I have to imagine that was Donald DeFreeze's idea. Because if you look at the rest of the people in the group, it's like archaeologists and political science yeah. students 
that have never held a gun. At best, Bill Harris, who hasn't joined the group yet, who's the Vietnam vet, he's the only other person that's like held a gun. So this is fully Donald DeFreeze's baby. Just telling these white kids what to do it's their it's the compromise because his first plan was car bomb and they were like no too much too much too much (laughs) he's like but i already have one i have a spare (laughs) i made it last week here's what's funny if you think about it like think of the the effort this took like you had to go out and get liquid cyanide you had to like sit there with like a paintbrush or something with like a, a mask on and paint each one of these bullets and then load them carefully you know i don't know if they used a revolver or if he used a semi-auto but like load them carefully into the gun to not get the cyanide scraped off and shoot it and it's like you know what else would work just get better at shooting the gun. Yeah. Like, that's what this thing does. It's meant to kill people. All you have to do is not suck at using this thing, and you can get rid of all of your cyanide tip magic. These aren't poison dart frogs. You're not in the middle of the Amazon, dude. <laughs> I like that you're giving him the credit that he would, like, go to all that effort. He was definitely finger-painting this shit. <laughs> like a thousand percent, like a fucking idiot, just like, bloop, one for you and one for me. Smells like almonds. Yeah, I haven't been feeling too good. Do you have any Kool-Aid? Um, <laughs> it was flavored. It was flavored. Yeah. Paige, <laughs> yeah, Paige I don't know Thanks. if you've seen the millions of emails we've gotten. <laughs> yeah. It was flavored. Oh, I did. Uh, now, the initial theory is to freeze and the two women, so Ms. Mood and then Nancy, were the ones that actually shot Marcus Foster and that Joe Ramiro and Russ Little were lookouts. They were the getaway car. Mm-hmm. That's what people believe has happened, or at least on the inside. That's the story that's happening. Uh, they get away with it at first, but then they decide to put out a press release taking responsibility for the crimes and including threats for any others that would seek to bring about the same changes as Foster. They go full Al-Qaeda with it. Jesus Christ. And thus, the Symbionese Liberation Army was born. And that's where we will pick up next week. God damn. I know. Crazy. I know. First of all, the fact that they did all of that just for... (laughs) ideas is hilarious second they they are basically giving themselves away which to us sounds dumb like you just admitted to murdering a public official and you're giving yourself away but as we've been taught throughout this even if they get caught they're gonna get about nine months in jail and then let go again <laughs> yeah or yeah. just escape from prison and be totally yeah, walk okay. away yeah. jesus christ mm-hmm. i don't page page pardon the pun this is a banger of an episode. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and and it's going to get more crazy. I know this is this is probably the shortest of the three, but the very next steps get into the kidnapping and everything. And so this was kind of a, a good end point. But yeah, oh m- the God. most crimes in a cult podcast episode. <laughs> is- I, I also love, by the way, the, the, like, the little ironies that are involved. Like the dude who literally physically couldn't manage to escape his wife easily escapes prison at the time. <laughs> I know they should have just sent him back to her. (laughs) Or had her run the prison. She seems to be doing a better job. She's like, I put a baby gate around the boiler. Good luck. (laughs) Donald DeFreeze is just like, please, anything but that. I'll take the death penalty. Come on. Just don't send me back. What a fucking nut job. I mean, literally. And I feel really bad for him and his fucking, uh, you know, like the the issues that he was going through with his mental health. But also at a certain point, it's just like, you can't make bombs, dude. 
Also, this is like the 60s. Think of all the stuff going on, the Vietnam War, racism, especially if you're like going into the South, like all the stuff that was still going on with the echoes of Jim Crow. And he's like, no, I'm murdering somebody over IDs. Well, yeah, that's the other (laughs) thing about fucking hanging out with like Berkeley kids is on the other side of the campus, fucking Ram Dass is just hanging out (laughs) doing his whole fucking thing at the same exact time. What the fuck? Well, and also, I want you to think about this. We know about police brutality and inherent biases. Yeah. And we just heard how many crimes this guy got away with, and he was black the whole time. <laughs> like, wow. it, it's an extra layer of, like, how little did the police care that they weren't even being their normal amount of racist? God <laughs> damn. It's wild. It is wild. Uh, But, yeah. We're, we're going to get into, essentially, the next episode is them building up their crew and planning the kidnapping and kidnapping Patty Hearst. <laughs> and they end up planning around the crew. They base it on things like the tenets of Kwanzaa and stuff, but it's all white people. It's him and a bunch of white people. <laughs> oh, God. And it's I sh- the Rachel Dolezal crew. <laughs> well, and I should mention, I should mention... They killed Marcus Foster and they thought for sure they were like, perfect. We did the right thing. And the black, the black Panthers were like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) We just tried to get that guy elected. Like he was like the first black superintendent. What the hell? Like we're working on it and you just killed that guy. And so they were pissed. So now no one wants to be their friend. Nah, first it's school IDs and then it, and then it's vaccines with a microchip in it. Look, man, you need to read some literature. <laughs> I have a YouTube video that's badly edited <laughs> that you should watch with just the stock music that you can select from the YouTube menu that stops half the way through the video. This, you know what's crazy to me is that I had not heard any of this stuff before. I know, obviously, little bits and tidbits of the Patty Hearst story, uh, you know, both just kind of what everybody else knows. And then knowing you, you hear a lot of stuff when you go to Berkeley about all that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I knew a little bit. I had no idea the background of this nut job. See, I feel like this is hard to believe. This sounds like a bedtime story you tell your child. <laughs> It sound, well, it sounds like the way a kid would tell a story where they're just like, and then there was a bomb and then he was on a bike and then there was more bombs and yeah. then there was another bomb and then he was on a building and then there was a grenade and uh-huh. then he went to the bank and then they they shot at him and then he was in jail mm-hmm. and then he escaped from jail and then they shot him. God, you were a mistake. <sighs> oh my God. All I want to do is build bombs. <laughs> You know what? In fact, come on over here. I'm going to break both of those arms. Jeez. Horrible. I also want to specify. Horrible. I also want to specify when I say this is a, a child story, you tell your, your your kids when they're going to sleep. I don't mean anyone. I mean specifically Bobby. This sounds like yes. a children. I As soon as we're done recording here, I'm actually going to walk in the other room and tuck my son in. In which case, I'm going to start with, do you have any idea how lucky you are to not have two broken arms? <laughs> No, not no broken arms should be the baseline. That should be the minimum. At minimum, you should not have broken arms. Unless you break them yourself doing something real radical. Like a kickflip yeah. off the roof of a bank holding a hand grenade. That is actually the most radical imagery I've ever had. 
and I'd like to announce my candidacy for X Games. I have a crazy new stunt. I can only do it once, so I will not be rehearsing it. Oh, my God. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Robert, Bobby, Bobster, Timothy. Thank you guys for having me. This has been fantastic. And as always, I always love it when you think you know something. You're like, oh, oh Patty Hearst. I know that one pretty well. It was easy. And then the background is nuttier than anything that's publicly known. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. There's so many times that we've tried to look into a story and then they're just like, all right, first of all, I have to spend two hours talking about this sexy sandwich shop in Tempe so that you can understand Heaven's Gate. All right. Sit down, motherfucker. We're getting into it. I mean, that was like when we had to go deep diving into like David Koresh's music, like career history. <laughs> Absolutely. There, uh, there are so many different instances of that. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Thank you so much. You can, uh, any of your podcast stuff, go look at Science Faction. I think there's still somebody else who's trying to do the Science Faction name. We're the ones that's purple and black. Uh, it is myself. I, uh, if you guys caught Paige talking about it earlier, I'm an archaeologist and a science educator slash comedian. And I have a comedian on the show with me. And then in non-COVID times, we have a science guest scientist. And every week we look at the week's published science news articles from the major science publications like Science and Nature and Discover. And then we make dick jokes about it. Yeah, now look at this. I know you I, I can see you. You're sitting there, you listen to this podcast, you're thinking to yourself, who the fuck is this nerd? But let me tell you, from let me give it the Armando Torres stamp of approval okay this ain't some this ain't your daddy's nerd shit all right this ain't your mommy's nerd shit this isn't your non-gendered parents nerd shit this is science faction baby and i fucking love it it's a great show please go check it thank out. you Mondo. you can listen to the episode i was on where i won the game <laughs> yes you won you won i call bs which is a game where i like quiz the the guest hosts on the weekly science articles and so you have to pick which ones are real and which ones are fake and my, my co-host, Damian Mercado, a comedian, has legendarily never won this game despite playing every single week for eight years. Paige steps up to the to the plate one time, homers it out of the park, <laughs> runs around the bases, does the victory lap. One time, yes. one win. Yes. <laughs> You're batting a fucking thousand right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's been a good week. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, Bobby, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I don't do the, the, believe it or not, I don't really do the Twitter or the Instagram. So it's just Robert Timothy at Facebook or Science Faction on Facebook. No, I believe it, but I'm looking at you right now, bud. I, yep. I believe it. I'm old lot. as shit. Oh, it wasn't the old thing. You just, <laughs> you give off major, like, I got to be off the grid vibes. Like, it seems like yeah. Oh, we're yeah. on a private Absolutely. Zoom call and it seems like you closed your windows so we wouldn't know where you lived. <laughs> seems like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> go check out Science Faction. That shit's so funny. Uh, such a such a great show. Again, I, I really can't say enough about it. Rob, Robert, Bobby. I don't know whatever to call you. I always call you Bobby, and it feels so. It feels so bad. You're like a smart ass fucking archaeologist scientist guy, and it feels no, no, no. Bobby's good. Bobby's yeah, Doctor Bobby. Are you a doctor? <laughs> I am not a not a doctor. I have an M.E.D. M.E.D. M.D. Doctor Bobby. Yeah, that's legal. I said it, and it's factual. Now. <laughs> 
Uh, Bobby's great, and he explains things in a way that's actually fun and interesting to listen to, but also it means you get a lot of information. When we covered the, the Mandela effect, uh, I had to do a small deep dive into quantum mechanics. I say had to, okay? I didn't have to, but sometimes you get high and you fall down a loophole and then you get angry for not understanding things and you blame yourself for never going to college. And what you do is you pick up a phone, you call your friend Bobby, and you have a two-hour-long conversation about quantum mechanics. And afterwards, great. you somehow understand it. That's how good he is at explaining <laughs> science. So go listen to that. <laughs> Um, Thank you, Lana. That was great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big fan. Um, you can find me on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. Uh, I'm also on uh, Funhouse over at Rooster Teeth. You can come check us out. We stream on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and you can listen to the Funhouse podcast every Tuesday live, and then it comes out on Thursdays on all the podcatchers and YouTube, so you can see my stupid, ugly face when I talk about the dick jokes. <laughs> You can watch him barf sometimes. Yeah, you can watch me barf. I barfed on a live stream on a Wednesday. <laughs> Played Sea of Thieves and I got actually seasick. Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. It's your girl. I'm here all the time. Uh, I will be roast battling probably a little more frequently. There have been some changes in how the show works. <laughs> that was a fucking. Yeah, sorry. I'll let you tell it. But you just battled and holy shit, I was blown away. Thank you uh, to everybody who watched this past week, uh, and I will keep everyone posted on when new battles come up. Uh, you can find that on uh, Paige Wesley on Twitter, at Paige Wesley on Twitter, or at Rampage Wesley on Instagrams. Uh, thank you. I love all of you. Uh, yeah, and if you want to help support the show, you can go to our Patreon. Uh, Patreon is how we uh, <laughs> how we help kind of sustain the show unlike you know we're, we're having a hard time with sponsors although this week's episode is sponsored to you by uh donald defreeze's ice cream uh <laughs> less less common it than garth cummins but a lot more extra electronic parts so you know it's the bomb <laughs> Oh my god, it's also brought to you by And also Acme Medical Casting. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth arm break cast is free. No. Oh my god. No, brutal. And free ice cream for all street gangs for life. Anyway, uh no, we're actually brought to you by our Patreon, like I mentioned. It's a super great thing. Uh you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. Check out all the tiers and rewards. This episode is brought to you in part by uh Sugar Tits. Uh, they said I would like to be referred to as sugar tits because I'm high as fuck right now. And that's the first thing that popped up. God, I love our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Thank you, sugar tits. Hell yeah, sugar tits. Thank you, sugar tits. And give my best to sour tits. You guys work best together. <laughs> uh, if you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, might we suggest Rooster Teeth? Bobby, make a rooster noise. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, rooster Teeth has a bunch of really awesome content. You can watch shows there like Last Laugh and Ruby, but you can also listen to a bunch of really fun podcasts like Good Morning from Hell, Black Box Down, Red Web, and of course, Colt Podcast. You can download the app on your Amazon Fire Stick, your Xbox, your uh, Roku television, your Android phone, and your iPhone phone. I just didn't know how to say that properly. But go ahead and check that out or go to the website roosterteeth.com 
they're streaming probably most of the time and go listen to the podcast there okay that's enough i love you bye i'm all fucking amped up because of i want more bomb guy i want more <laughs> bomb guy in my life well you'll get it next week i can't wait Paige. i need it now oh if you want to uh follow the show on instagram you can at cold podcast or on twitter at cult podcast show you can also send us an email to cult podcast show at gmail.com or if you want to send us a pipe bomb don't <laughs> don't do that <laughs> absolutely don't do not but if you have sweet sweet ice cream you can send that to 3756 west avenue 40 sweet k number 237 like, like the, the shining, shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. I'm going to tell you what. You send us ice cream, there's going to be something else that's explosive. Hey, oh, hey, it's my diarrhea. Oh, hey. Hey. He didn't take his lactate. (laughs) Yay. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink prison water. It sounds gross. Fuck. It sounds real terrible. Luckily, you won't be drinking it for long because you'll be out in three months. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You just got to go past the boiler, hang a left. Uh, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. All right, I got to go shoot up my basement. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs>